Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Dave Baxter, Deputy Personal Finance Editor of Investors Chronicle, and Alex Brandreth, Deputy Chief Investment Officer at Brown Shipley. Investors have enjoyed more than a decade of strong returns from equities, but much of this has been driven by the US. And although the market's strong run is likely to continue in the immediate future, there are growing concerns about how long this can go on. Dave, you've been looking at this. Why might US equities upward surge be coming to an end? So it's important to note that people have been calling the end of the market for quite a long time, and that can not particularly work out well. Uh, but at the same time, there are lots of reasons why the market could slow down or come off. Um, you've got the escalating trade war still. You've got concerns that growth is slowing. You've also got central banks easing their policy, but there are concerns that they're running out of tools to stimulate the economy if something does go wrong. What are fund managers doing to address this? To take some of the um, extreme examples, James Clooney, the manager of uh, Jupiter Absolute Return, very popular fund, uh, he for quite some time has been dedicating a lot of resources to shorting um, US equities. So you're essentially betting on um, a share price falling. So if the market does collapse and he's picked the right things to short, then uh, he should benefit quite handsomely. If you want to take a slightly more moderate, but also, you know, quite drastic approach, um, Seneca Investment Managers, who run some multi-asset funds, they last year entirely ditched their US exposure because they are worried that we're at the end of the economic cycle and the US is going to be most exposed if things go wrong. Okay, now, now these maybe sound like drastic measures. Perhaps it'd be fair to say that these are wealth preservation funds. Mm. So they obviously don't want to lose money. Yeah. Bearing this in mind, should private investors who are perhaps running portfolios for different purposes rather than a sole wealth preservation mandate do this as well? It's, it's quite a risky uh, approach. So if you're, for example, shorting or using a fund that shorts, then you can lose a lot of money if the market keeps rising. Um, similarly, if you entirely avoid the US markets and it continues to power ahead like it has for many years, then you are going to lag the overall market. So that is quite a risky approach. Um, an alternative strategy that I've been looking at in our latest issue uh, is the idea of looking at global equity funds uh, that have still have some US exposure, but have a lower US exposure. So they're arguably less vulnerable if things go wrong in the US. Now, you were talking about global funds of lower US exposure. Mm. Is it normal for global funds to have a good chunk of US exposure? Definitely, yeah. So um, if you look at global indices, um, these are the kind of things global equity managers have to look at, benchmark against and compete with. Um, these indices have really quite hefty allocations um, or weightings to the US. So if you look at MSCI World, that has around 55% in the US. Obviously, one reason to perhaps look at global fund of less US is these concerns on the US. But are there any other arguments other than being a bit jittery about where US equities might go uh, for these funds? Yeah, I think it's worth considering less US heavy global funds, not just for growth strategies, but also for income. So obviously with income, you want a good yield and 
the main problem with the US is it doesn't tend to yield as much as uh, various other markets. Um, so if a global equity fund um, invests for income, goes heavy on the US, then there's a risk they are they are sacrificing that yield. Okay. And what would be examples of um, global funds with relatively lower US exposure? I'm just going to look into a couple of examples of growth-oriented funds. One example of a fund that has done well and hasn't gone too far against the US, but has gone lower than the broader markets and uh, benchmarks, is Sanlam Global High Quality. As the name suggests, they have a focus on companies with uh, high-quality metrics, for example, strong balance sheets. It has about 40% in the US. Uh, It still has exposure to some of the big tech names like Facebook, um, but it's got less of that US exposure than a lot of its peers. Big issue with this fund to consider is, as I said, it has a quality bias. So if markets do come off, if investors start backing different assets, then there's an argument that quality companies could, uh, could see their prices fall. If you want an entirely different um, approach, a much more contrarian approach, you could try the River and Mercantile Global Recovery Fund. So again, as the name suggests, this is more oriented around uh, value companies, stocks that are quite beaten up in terms of their price, but ones that the manager believes could come back quite strongly. Uh, This is a much more contrarian approach. It has less than 20% in the US. And the real risk here is that quality companies and the US market continue to power ahead and this fund continues to struggle. But it's one to consider. Yeah. Now you are citing some downsides there. So, I mean, just more generally, um, what are the disadvantages to investing in a global fund with less US exposure? As I mentioned, the big um, risk is that the US just continues to go ahead. As I said, many people have been sceptics of this market for a long time and uh, have struggled because of that approach. Also, you need to bear in mind that if a global equity fund has less in the US than its peers, and it has else, uh, has assets in, for example, Europe, that's not a guarantee that if the US market falls apart, then your fund will be fine. Because often markets are, particularly developed markets, can be closely correlated. Alex, um, let's, uh, I wondered what your position was on this. I mean, do you think that US equities are nearing the end of a strong run? Um, well, there's definitely some short-term risks that have come through because of the trade war more recently. And because of that, the, the probability of a recession in 2020 is starting to pick up. I was reading a report this morning that suggested that's about a 33% probability at the moment for, for next year. That being said, that's not our central view at Brown Shipley. We believe we're in this uh, softening of growth and moderation of growth. Um, which isn't going to lead to a recession in the US, and therefore you're unlikely to see an earnings recession, which is what impacts companies. Um, so, so from our perspective, we don't think we're nearing the end of this bull run in the US. This part of the cycle as well does tend to be a, a good period to be invested in equities because you get this melt up and you get retail flows coming in. Uh, we don't think we've seen any signs of that at the moment, and we think that's a good time to be invested in, in equities because of that um, positive catalyst that comes through. 
Okay. I mean, a lot of people are getting exercised about inverted yield curves. Um, just, I suppose, briefly, I mean, what does this mean and, um, you know, why, why are you maybe not so concerned about it? So an inverted yield curve is when uh, the longer end of the yield curve, so traditionally a 10-year, uh, the yield falls below a two-year, which suggests... This is on US government bonds now, yeah. Yeah, so on US mm. government bonds falls below a, a shorter-dated bond, like a two-year. Uh, and traditionally that's been a sign of recession. Um, it has been quite a good indicator in the past. Um, the, the thing it's not been a very good indicator is when that recession actually hits. Um, so it could be shorter, so it could be within the next six months, or it can even be two years or so since from the yield curve inverting, um, which if you're looking at um, equity market returns running up to recession, that's when you tend to do very well because, you, as I said, you're getting that um, run-up of valuations and retail investors investing into equity markets. Um, on that note, do you think that US equity valuations are expensive? It depends what you're looking at. And uh, the, I was going to go through two metrics here. So if you're looking at the traditional price earnings ratio, so looking at the price divided by earnings that are coming through, the US looks average. So it's fallen by about 5% uh, the PE. Um, over the course of August because of trade tensions and which currently trading around 16 times, uh, which is around its long-term average if you're looking at 20 years history of data. Um, if that does look expensive relative to, to Europe and the UK, but the US market does tend to trade at a premium to other markets because of the quality of companies there and the earnings that are generated. And also the potential earnings growth looking forward is actually pretty strong from the US as well. I suppose the other important metrics to think about is is relative to bond markets, and you just we just touched on the inverted yield curve there. Bond markets are looking um, more expensive with where yields are currently. I mean, the UK ten-year bond yields around 0.5. In the US, it's it's a bit higher than that because they've got higher interest rates at two percent, but it's still pretty low compared to historic standards. And you're looking at kind of the average S and P. Uh, yield of around two, which is the same as a bond yield, and, and clearly earnings can grow and dividends can grow. So it really depends on on the metrics that you're looking at. I suppose to a certain extent, the mixed picture is these concerns, but perhaps they're not so bad. What should investors do? I mean, there's pros and cons. Should they still have exposure to US equities? I think so, yeah. I mean, there's some of the best businesses in the world are located in the US. Um, and also, the US market gives you something different compared to other global markets. And principally, technology is probably the best example of that. The the S&P 500 is 22% uh, invested in technology shares, so you know, nearly a quarter invested in technology. And and these are obviously well-known businesses that are still able to grow grow earnings, despite the fact that growth has been moderating uh, more recently, because they're not just reliant on the, the economic cycle to grow. They're you know, creating good business models that can grow outside of the economic cycle. So from that perspective and the quality of businesses that you can find in the US, um, I do think it's appropriate to be invested in US equities. Okay. And I mean, what kind of investor could consider US equities? Um, and what sort of percentage of investments could they consider allocating to them? So it really depends on on your risk profile. So um, we manage a number of multi-asset funds as well. 
Um, with our more cautious one, because it has a lower equity content, you typically see less in the US for obvious reasons. So that that we have, say, 7 or 8% in US equities. But if you're going up to our more high-risk uh, portfolios, which are more equity-dominated, that can be kind of 25 30% or so of the portfolio. Now, as we touched on earlier, if you're looking for a more global equity approach, um, then traditionally you know, that's around 55% to be neutral US, and you can clearly go significantly higher than that. And we have some funds that have a, a higher allocation to the US. Probably a good example of that is the, the Fundsmith Equity Fund, which is a good global equity fund, which uh, is looking for quality businesses um, and re- recurring earnings coming through. And that has a high allocation towards the US. Okay. Now, um, if you one of these investors who falls into... Uh, I suppose these categories and um, it's appropriate for you to have an allocation to US equities. Are there any other risks that you should be aware of and bear in mind, be prepared to accept before you put your money into, uh, you know, those um US funds or global funds? Yeah, well, absolutely. There's, there's, there's always risk when you invest in equities. You should be taking a long-term investment approach when you're doing so. Uh, so, so I suppose that's the first risk that there's, just general market risk, geopolitical risk, clearly, with, with what's going on with the trade war and, and closer to home Brexit. Um, there's also um, risk within uh, the cycle in terms of where we are, in terms of um, if, if we do see a recession coming through. When when a UK investor is invested in the US or global funds, there's, there's clearly currency risk, which can play an important part of that with what's happened to sterling over the last decade or so. And closer to home in the US, you've got a presidential election, which is about to start from next year. Um, so so that, that may be another reason why we avoid a, a recession in 2020, because Donald Trump would like a nice, strong US economy running into the, the presidential election. So there's, there is risks uh, throughout. Now, you mentioned currency, and um, like you said, sterling has weakened against the US dollar and considerably since 2016, um, post the vote to leave the European Union. So if like you've not already got that position in US equities, is it actually now a bad time to buy into them? It's, it's, it really depends on your Brexit outcome, uh, which is very hard to call, as we know, and has been extended once already. Um, so if you're expecting a, a no-deal scenario, and that would be negative for sterling, you expect to see further weakness in sterling. So actually, an investment in the US might be quite good because you're, you're away from the, the troubles in, in, the, in Europe and the UK to a certain extent, and also you get exposure to the US dollar at the same time. Conversely, if you're... Um, positive and you're expecting Boris Johnson to get a deal through uh, with the European Union then that would clearly be a negative for uh, sorry, a negative from investing in the dollar because sterling would rally uh, in that environment maybe back down to the 140 levels that we saw kind of on average uh, of cable over the last number of years um, so it really depends on, on your brexit outcome uh, but you know let's when we're investing um, at Brown Shipley we're really thinking longer term we're not just thinking what's going to happen over the next six months what's going to happen with brexit it's taking that longer term approach and if you're taking that longer term approach currencies can can move for you and move against you over time um, I suppose on average at the moment sterling is probably looking slightly cheaper because of what's everything that's happened with regard to brexit and and the change in in government in the UK Okay. Now, um, if you um, decide to invest in US equities, um, what's the best way to access them? A single country fund or a global fund that has a substantial allocation to them? 
It depends on your your risk profile. So um, when you've got a smaller exposure to equities, what the approach we would typically take is to go via a global approach. Um, that way you are outsourcing your asset allocation, your geographical uh, equity selection to uh, that manager. So it's important you find a manager that you know is aligned to your views and uh, you can believe can deliver value over the long term. Um, but as uh, the risk increases, we move away from a global fund to more regional specific funds. Uh, so whether that be U.S. growth funds, U.S. value funds, U.S. tracker funds, uh, but equally uh, mid and small cap funds in the U.S. as well, uh, which more can be appropriate for a, for a higher risk investor. Okay, so if you opt for a single country U.S. fund, um, would you say it's better to go for an active fund or a passive one? Because um, I suppose as many of the listeners know, um, active funds certainly focused on U.S. larger companies have struggled to beat the S and P five hundred index consistently. Yeah, um, we've done the st- stats on that as well. And um, yeah, you're absolutely right. After charges, it's very difficult for an active fund to outperform a, uh, a very cheap uh, tracker fund. Uh, so, I mean, we would always have a tracker fund as the core part of our portfolio for the US because we're doing it, A, uh, as an asset allocation core, but also to get exposure to the businesses over there. Um, but we will combine it with active funds. Um, the, the market in the US at the moment is very polarized. Um, you've got growth and, and quality, which is doing very well. Uh, and has performed very strongly over the last few years, but you've got more value-orientated funds which are really struggling. Um, so we would always have a balance between growth and value and also, as we said, mid and small cap. Um, you can find some good active managers, particularly in the mid and small cap face, space, that, that add value uh, because it's a less research part of the market and it's, it's less, uh, less efficient. So we would always act, access some active managers within what we're doing. Um, at the moment, um, as we said, growth and value is very stretched between the difference between the two. So probably it makes sense to be taking a bit of profits on the growth area and rotating back to value uh, just to make sure that your portfolio balance is, is in shape. It's it's very easy to fall in love with the growth, growth funds that have done very well over the last few years uh, and the value funds are getting shunned because um, they've done so badly. So it's just always important to, to understand your position in there. Okay. Now you mentioned that um, small and mid-cap managers can actually do well and obviously they're not investing in or trying to outperform the S&P 500, which is the index is really hard to beat. Are there any particular managers or funds investing in US small and mids that you particularly like? Yeah. So we've had uh, the Schroeder US team, uh, so a mid and small cap team for a long period of time. And clearly those funds have gone through a period of closure in the past. Uh, so so they, they're always uh, worth looking at. Uh, more recently, we've added the Artemis US smaller companies funds, which is more growth orientated to, to the list as well. Uh, so that's another good fund that we've accessed within, uh, within the US. And um, you mentioned the Schroeder's team. I mean, the one of the main managers there, Jenny Jones, um, retired, I think, was it a, a few months ago or last mm-hmm. year? Um, are you not concerned that the strategy might suffer as a result? Or? Well, we there's mm. always a risk whenever you get a manager, and Jenny Jones was a was a very well known person in the industry. Um, nevertheless, there was always a very good team behind her, and that's the important thing. Um, whenever a, a star manager leaves, it's always important to look at what the team is supporting her, and we always felt that with Schroeder, there was always a very good team behind her that was able to to support. So, so we weren't concerned in that case. You know, there has been instances over the years where managers are left and we've decided to to exit because we felt that the risk was too great for our clients. Okay. Now, turning back to global equities, if you hold a global equities fund for general market exposure rather than specifically to access the US, do you think it's better to go for one with lower exposure to US equities as 
Dave has been arguing in favour of just now? Or is it better to go for one more in line with um, global equity indices? I suppose it really depends on your objectives and what you're looking to to achieve. If if your objectives are income, as we mentioned earlier, and you're looking to receive a high income on a on a regular basis, then it's very difficult to achieve that through the US because it does tend to be a lower dividend yield market, as we touched on. Um, so so traditionally, uh, global income funds have been underweight um, the US for the, for those reasons. But yeah, benchmark risk is is very large, and people have been betting against the US for a very long period of time and got it wrong for a long period of time as well. Um, so again, uh, we are currently neutrally positioned in the US, so you'd be around that kind of benchmark weight, and that's kind of how we we would be approaching our Brown Shipley. Okay, thank you, Alex. Some really helpful suggestions, and see this week's big theme for Dave's other global equity fund suggestions. Turning to the whole market, there are a number of UK equity income funds which consistently deliver good total returns and an attractive income. But more recently, funds which haven't been doing so well are now making the best returns and some of the better performers are not doing so well. Dave, why is this? What's changed? So what we're talking about here is wealth manager Sam Lam does a um, what's called its income study every six months. And as you mentioned, you've seen a bit of a shake-up in terms of who's standing out, who's not doing so well. That is basically because the study does focus on how much income a fund pays over a five-year period, but it also focuses on the fund's volatility and the fund's performance. With the market drops at the end of last year and then markets recovering very strongly this year, you've seen a real kind of split out of which funds have done well which haven't, and, you know, how volatile they've been. So one notable winner, um, I suppose, is uh, Neptune Income. Um, That has risen 17 positions, and for now it sits at the the top of the table. Okay, so what's been driving Neptune Income's returns? Neptune Income, over the year to the end of June, managed to return about 5% when a lot of funds made a loss. And if you look at the fund's holdings, the manager does hold some of those uh, big constituents of the UK market. So, for example, the biggest holding is uh, Rio Tinto, the mining company. One way that it stands out from other funds is, uh, and Alex was talking about this, technology companies have done very well. The fund has a big exposure to to tech. It has something like nearly 20% in tech. Whereas the, the FTSE All Share has bit under 2%. Um, and if you look at its top holdings, one of its big names is Microsoft, which has, uh, has done well in the last year, even though tech names have had quite a, a bumpy ride at times. Um, so that's one reason why it's, uh, it's standing out. Okay. Now, there's been a shakeup, but are there any UK equity income funds that were previously making good returns that are continuing to do well? Yeah, you've seen some um, consistent performance. Um, So one is um, in second place, you've got uh, ManGLG UK Income. Uh, That's a fund run by Henry Dixon. Um, It didn't have the best time around 2016, but since then it's it's done fairly well quite consistently. And in third place, you've got another fairly consistent fund. Um, That is Mighton UK Multi-Cap Income. What's interesting about that fund is it's been praised for its exceptionally low volatility 
Um, and that's despite the fact that it holds mid cap and small cap companies, which obviously can move up and down more than uh, some of their larger constituents, some of their larger peers, sorry. Alex, just turning to, I suppose, UK equity income shares more generally uh, and funds, uh, what are the main sort of like drivers and influences of um, this part of the market at the moment? Well, just general market sentiment has been a big driver more recently, uh, just with equity market weakness. The the other would be uh, Brexit. Um, Brexit has really polarised the market within the UK. You've got value, in, which is a traditional big UK income area, which has really struggled. So you're looking at financials and house builders and retail, which is which seems to get cheaper and cheaper by the day. And you've got quality companies, which um, which are doing fantastically well because they're being priced off bond yields, which have fallen ever lower. Um, so that's really polarised the market um, and why you're getting some big divergences between kind of more quality UK income funds and, and more value traditional income funds as well. Okay. Now, I mean, the sort of shares that typically pay income are perhaps large cap multinationals. So, I mean, how at risk from Brexit are they if they're, um, you know, making revenues in other parts of the world, perhaps in, in other currencies? What risks do they face if uh, Brexit's not a problem so much for them? So, so the main risk, you absolutely right, is Brexit in terms of you know, 70% of the earnings in the FTSE 100 are derived from overseas. So you've got FX risk. You've also got just the risk with the global economy and everything that's going on with the with the trade war, because if there's a slowdown in global growth, that's going to impact those companies as well, which will impact earnings and subsequently impact the dividends that those companies are, are going to pay out. Um, they're the main risks, I think, at the moment. I suppose the other one with the UK is always just the concentration of income in the in the, the higher names. Um, you know, top 10 of the FTSE are big dividend payers. So there's always a high concentration of income within the UK as well. Okay, so in view of these risks, are there any areas of UK equity income or UK equity types of UK equity income funds that investors should avoid? Um, and are there ever any ones that, you know, will be particularly good for dealing with these current challenges? Well, uh, again, it's back to where we are in the moment in the market cycle. So you've got, as I said, you're quite polarised in, in the US, but you're also quite polarised in the UK between growth and value. Um, so we would always have a bit of a balance. So we wouldn't just go for one style over the other. So we'd have a quality fund, maybe someone like uh, Francis Brooks' Trojan Income Fund, which we've had for a very long period of time, which is going through a better period, similar to, to Henry Dixon, uh, mm-hmm. that had struggled in 2016, but has really come back strongly over the last 18 months or so. Uh, and we typically couple that with something like uh, more value funds. So maybe Schroeder Income or J.O. Hambro UK Equity Income, which we've held for a number of years, uh, but are going through very challenging performance time periods at the moment because value as a style is out of favour. So, I mean, we would always have a, a balance towards the two. If you believe that um, Brexit is going to come through and is a big concern, then you'd want to be going towards the more quality end because that's what will bid up. So your Trojan Income Fund. And if you think things will be okay and we'll model through, then value probably looks slightly overdone in the short term. And you know, Trojan, uh, sorry, the J.O. Hambro and the Schroeder Income Funds have been good long-term holdings. It's just their styles are our favour in the short term. Okay. Now, we've been talking a lot about the Brexit risk. Um, in view of this, is it an argument for basically totally avoiding UK equities? Uh, potentially. It's not one that I subscribe to, though. Uh, I, we have exposure to the UK and, and UK equity income within that. Um, you know, if you could go to one extreme and say Brexit could be a positive for, for UK equity 
equities in terms of the sterling appreciation, uh, depreciation that came through and the impact that has on the market. You go back to the referendum result, people were expecting the FTSE to be closer to, to 5,000 at the end of the year, closer to 7,000. So it gives you an idea that people, market participants have speculated on these impacts in the past and underestimated the impact that FX has. I suppose it does depend on what's going on in the global economy at the same time. You know, we mentioned earlier UK equities are correlated as are developed markets to what's going on in the US and what's going on in Europe. Um, and, and if the US and Chinese trade relations deteriorate further, then, then that's also a significant risk to, to being invested in UK equities as well. That being said, we've never completely shun uh, UK equities and we're very conscious of the fact that, that Brexit will impact the UK economy uh, and will impact earnings that are coming through from, from more value-orientated or domestically focused companies that are based in the UK as well. So it's just about being well diversified from our perspective at the moment. Okay, thank you, Alex. Some uh, really helpful points. That's all we've got time for today. But to also see this week's Investors Chronicle on the website at www.investorschronicle.co.uk for Dave's full report on global equity funds and more on US equity risks and the best UK equity income funds. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend.